I discovered I didn't love myself. Um, I was looking for it outside of myself. And so I began to do that search to learn to love myself, you know, who, who I was and, and discovered that I was worthy of love. Hello and welcome to Self Talk. Leslie Lindsay Davis is always on a journey. Her motto is, why not? She measures things she wants to do against the yardstick of when I'm 80 years old, I don't want to be sitting in my rocking chair on my front porch saying, I wish I would have. Her passion is to help one person who is where she was. To help that one person who's struggling to fill that myself-sized hole in their heart to help that one person discover they are enough just as they are. Thank you, Leslie, for being here. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, so am I. So let's start at the beginning. What got you on this this path? Um, well, like so many people, you know, there is there is a moment in, in, there was a moment in my life where I hit rock bottom and I realized I could go one of two ways. One way was to continue heading downhill, even though I was at rock bottom, or to do something different. And I realized what I wanted to do was I wanted to live my very, very best life. And in order to do that, mm. um, because I kept looking for that outside of myself. And I realized if I don't love myself, it is unfair to ask someone else to love me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's no easy feat to suddenly wake up. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily difficult to realize, my goodness, I don't love myself, but how does one begin, at least in your experience, how do you begin to realize that you're worthy of love and make the changes necessary to live that life? Well, for me, it was um, being honest with myself and not not accepting the lies that I had been telling myself. And the lies were that I was not worthy of love, that, you know, nobody was going to love me. I was unlovable. Mm. And instead to say, no, you know, that's a story you're telling yourself. Mm. The, let, let's tell ourselves, you know, the truth. And the truth is you are worthy of love. You are wonderful. You were created for a purpose. Mm. We just need to figure out what your purpose is but in the meantime, let's start looking at how amazing you are. Yeah. And I know that sounds like a crazy conversation, but that's just the crazy conversation that I have with myself. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So um, just to, to back it up, that that recognition of you are lovable or even hearing the voice, you know, this is a show called self-talk. So that self-talk that says you're not lovable. Where did that come from? Where did that where did that voice come from for you? Well, part of it was presumptions that I made, assumptions that I made, and part of it came from people in my life. For example, my um, ex husband used to tell me, "You know, you're lucky that that I married you because nobody else would have you." Mm. Um, 
And then I also felt like I was never good enough, you know, for my, in, in the eyes of my parents Um, Mm. and even, even in the eyes, you know, of school and achievements and things like this, I always felt that I was never good enough, that, that it was always, I was always falling short of Mm. whatever measurement people put up. And uh, now why I came to those conclusions, well, I was reflecting on that this morning when I was listening to, um, to you talking. And what I recognized is the people that I was, you know, the, the people who were intimate, my intimate family, they didn't really um, encourage mm. any kind of success. There was always this feeling of, well, yes, but. Mm. Uh, and when we, when we yes, but things, we don't hear the yes. We hear the words that come after the but. Yeah, that's right. And, and so I, you know, I took on all of that and felt like, you know, it didn't make any difference what I tried. I was never going to be enough. Mm. Those are those are really powerful messages that we hear. And it's it's so interesting that um and I, and I talk about this with my therapy patients all the time, the, the messages that you hear growing up, uh, once those, those messages, whether it's from your caretaker, your parents, whatever, once those people are not in your life anymore, those become your internal voice. And you begin to think that it's true because it's coming from you. But of course, it's not coming from you at all. It's coming from the messaging that you received. And then, not surprisingly, we... Um, tend to put ourselves in those similar situations and surround ourselves with people who also think we're not good enough just to kind of, uh, because it's comfortable for one, for one way of, of, of saying it, but also um, unconsciously we want to fix that. So we work really hard to be something. And as you said, sometimes we just keep falling short. We can't understand why, we're not living up to, let's say, uh, you know, a, a, a husband or a, a boss or a friend that we have sort of selected unconsciously to reaffirm these messages that we're not good <laughs> enough, right? Exactly. And, uh, you know, if, if we, well, I discovered if I wasn't surrounding myself with people who were not shoring up my not good enoughs, I did a really, really good job of it all by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of saying, you know, part part of what I discovered is we are taught how to talk to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then we teach other people how to talk to us. Yeah. And so that became really critical in in the work that I did to learn to love myself. I started examining the the words that I was using to speak to myself mm-hmm. and then reflecting and discovering how was I teaching someone else to talk to me? Mm-hmm. What what permission was I giving to someone else to call me stupid or to, you know, speak to me in an ugly fashion? Mm-hmm. instead of being surprised at them speaking to me in that way, I had given them permission. I had taught them that I had given them a roadmap a set of instructions. Right. I had done everything with the exception of speaking the words themselves, you know, myself for, you know, on their behalf. Mm-hmm. And so it took, um, 
It took a lot of internal conversations, but the first thing I had to do was change how I spoke to myself mm-hmm. and catch when I was speaking to myself in an unhelpful or um, derogatory fashion. Mm. And then I would say, wait a minute. Okay. You're not stupid. You may not understand how to do that, but you know what? We're all learning. Right. And so I started saying to myself, you know, when a child starts riding a bike or they start doing something for the first time, we don't tell them, oh, you know, you fell off your bike the first time. You're so stupid. You're never going to be able to do that. And you're such a failure. Instead, we say, you know what? You fell off. Let's try again. Let's try Mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. So I started looking at, at the things that we do with small children and applying those to myself. Yes. Yes. And, you know, as I, as I was learning how to change how I talked to myself, I would remind myself, well, of course you made a mistake. You know what? It's okay if you slip this time, because you know what? You're learning. Right. And I started using an, an acronym for the word fail. Mm. Because when we hear the word fail, so many times we think, well, you know, we, we've messed up. We can't ever be better. You know, all kinds of negative connotations come with it. Mm-hmm. Well, now when I hear the word fail, I'm like, yeah, you're right. Because what I hear is first attempt in learning. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. So when somebody says you failed, well, heck yeah, that was my first attempt in learning. You know, mm-hmm. I'm glad that you recognize that. Thank you for acknowledging it. Yeah. And, um, and- you know, we, we, we get better by trying. Right. And, and no, there is no successful person in the world who hasn't failed probably dozens, if not hundreds of times, because that's, that is how we learn. I mean, you know, neurologically, our brains are designed to keep, you know, keep at it until we get the thing that we want to get. And so, so thank you for, for clarifying that. Um, What, what happened once you started to speak well to yourself, to yourself, what changes did you notice in your life? Well, first I started noticing that I wasn't always uh, feeling sad or angry or left out. That that mm. was the first thing. But then the second thing that I noticed is um, when I would feel um, sad or upset, I wasn't going to what I call my drug of choice, which was food. Mm-hmm. I wasn't seeking out, you know, the bag of potato chips, the, the box of cookies, the whatever, in order to kill the pain. And I started recognizing that in the past, I had been using food to kill pain. Well, it didn't make me feel better because then you throw in shame on top of all that. Right. Uh, right. So it, it started releasing its hold on me because I wasn't trying to fill up that hole that Mm -hmm. I call that my self-sized hole in my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason I call it that is because what I was missing was I was missing love for myself. Right. And and as a consequence of being able to let go of uh, my drug of choice and and it losing its power over me, I was actually able to drop almost a hundred pounds and keep it off. Right. And, and it's interesting because that approach is very different from dieting or something like that, where it's a conscious focus on the food, you are actually looking at what was causing you to overeat in the first place and dealing with that issue, which is really, really powerful. 
Exactly. And then we get into the uh, when you're you're looking at a diet or you're looking at those food choices, we get into um, a word that you had. a I can't remember which episode it was, but talking about, you know, the should factors. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> and um, I about uh, two or three years ago, I started recognizing you know, how often that word appears in our vocabulary, in our conversations. How many times does it show up in sentences? How many times does it appear in thoughts that we have inside of our head? Mm-hmm. And it is not a helpful word. So, no. um, you know, when, when we talk about dieting, that is usually coupled with I should not eat. Right. Right. Or I should eat. Right. And either way, it's very negative because then to me, when we use that word should, then we're throwing in shame, should and shame go exactly. I mean, they are uh, Siamese twins, you know, they're connected. Mm -hmm. Um, You cannot have one without the other. And so I started saying to myself, okay, instead of saying you should have, you know, had uh, carrots instead of having 16 cookies, I would say, you know what? this was the choice that you made next time we'll make a different choice. Mm-hmm. And I, um, in, in my book, you can't eat love. Um, somebody commented about reframing and I was like, okay, I had to appear like I knew what they were talking about. And I got home and <laughs> Google helped me understand reframing. Yes. Do explain what reframing is for our audience who may also not know. Um, and that, that is okay. I'm grateful that if you do, you know, raise your hand and say, I don't know what reframing is because I was way too embarrassed. Yeah. Um, reframing is when you take a thought that is not helpful and you flip it around so that it is either kind or helpful mm-hmm. or both sometimes. Mm-hmm. So when I would say to myself, you should have, um, you know, chosen carrots over cake, I would reframe, I would go, wait, wait, wait. Let's reframe that. I would say, you know what? This time you made a choice of having cake instead of having carrots, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Or I would, uh, you you should eat spinach. Okay. Well, I know that you don't really care for spinach, and that's okay. Maybe we could figure out a way that's that you would enjoy spinach. And so we're removing that shame and that right. uh, pressure because what I discovered when it comes to diets, especially is there's all this, you shouldn't in, mm. in it. And I don't know about you, but for me, there is a, a little four-year-old and sometimes a two-year-old kid living inside of me that when I start shooting. I'm in the middle of Walmart throwing a temper tantrum. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep, absolutely. In fact, uh, I was going to mention, thank you for discussing your, your book, You Can't Eat Love. Um, so tell us a little bit about that book or what, what people might be able to, um, or who, who might it help the most? Uh, well, the, the book is not at all about dieting. I mean, I'll be very clear about that. It's about learning to love yourself. So if there's anyone out there who labels themselves, and I don't really like labels, but if they label themselves as an emotional eater, a stress eater, or if they're just someone who is struggling with learning to love themselves, it, it is written for you because mm-hmm. I wrote the book for the me that I used to be, the me with that empty myself 
sized hole in my heart. Right. I wrote the book because this is the book that I wanted back when I discovered I had that hole. Mm. So the book is written very conversationally. And I've had quite a number of people tell me it's like sitting down, you know, at Starbucks or something and having coffee with a really, really good friend. Mm. Um, So if you're struggling with any of those things, uh, that's who the book is written for you. And I had a counselor read the book before it was published. And she said, well, this could be called, you can't drink love. You can't drug love. You can't, I was going to say, whatever, whatever it is, because the focus is not just on eating. It's really about filling that myself sized hole in your heart. It's about learning to love yourself. And it's about celebrating the small wins because as you talk about over and over again, those uh, neurological pathways, those can become very hardwired, but they can be broken. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that I encourage people to begin breaking those, or as I call it, to begin driving down the muddy road and try and make new ruts, yes, is by celebrating, celebrate the small wins. So those times when I would switch, when I would reframe those should statements, I'd be like, wow, look at you. Look what you did. That is so amazing. And I know that sounds crazy as heck. But I promise you, not to, not to me, <laughs> not to me, it doesn't days. Nice. celebrate those tiny wins and ignore when you mess up. Yeah. Yeah. Because we are human. And again, as you said, there is we all mess up. That's what the whole you know, that's what life is about. And so what are you going to do with that learning? Right. Is are you going to should on yourself? Or are you going to, or are you going to use that as a, as a teaching tool? And that's the thing. So many of us are so hard on ourselves. And that also comes from patterning, not just parents. We don't want to blame parents for everything, but most of the time it's all their fault. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I say that as a parent, so I'm, you know, tongue in cheek, but, um, but even society and what society expects of us, you know, you have to look a certain way, make a certain amount of money. You have to have a certain kind of job or, you know, represent something in society. And, and a lot of us don't align with that. Then there's the pressure to be funny or smart or, you know, whatever it is, or, or a great friend or whatever it is. All of these things will often lead us and, and, and reawaken that trauma, right, that we that we grew up with. So it makes perfect sense that we turn to food or alcohol or drugs or sex or uh, television or our the social media to relieve ourselves of that suffering. And, and so I love what you're saying here, which is if you can just support the, the wins, if you can support yourself in your wins, you are changing your neural pathways in the mind. That's neuroplasticity, right? We've learned that our minds can be changed mm-hmm. at any age, right? I get a lot of patients who are like, oh, it's too, too late for me. I've been this way my whole year, my whole life. I'm 60 years old. I'm 70 years old. I, I, can't, I can't possibly change. Of course you can. Of course you can. So well, the, only time, the only time you can't change is when you're six feet under. There you go. Yep. And as long as you're breathing, there's there's a chance to to shift. And and um, that's a really good point. Um, So let's talk a little bit about um, the the no should zone. Maybe we've already covered most of it. But how do you define that? How does that show up? The no should zone? Well, to me, the no should zone shows up anytime that you uh, or somebody else 
decides randomly. And if you think about it, when we apply the word should to something, who is it that that made themselves king or emperor of the universe? Exactly. That that this is a given, it is written in stone, never to be changed again. So I look at those things. Um, you should drink six glasses of water. Okay, well, you know, let, let's be, can we be flexible about that? What does water look like? Are we really talking about water? Are we talking about liquid? Are we talking about coffee? You know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So who is it that, as we used to say when I was much younger, who is it that died and made you boss? (laughs) Right. (laughs) So anytime uh, you come into that, those um, finite statements where there isn't any wiggle room, look at it. That's the no should that those are the shoulds. And we want to be in the no should zone. Mm-hmm. We we want to um, be able to make choices. We want to be in charge and in control of our life. Mm-hmm. And that was where I really came into a ginormous aha moment. I am only in control of me. I am not in control of you. I can only do something about me. So I get to make the choices. You don't get to make the choices for me. So when you're telling me I should do X, Y, Z, I should walk so many steps a day. I should only watch this much TV. I should only hang out with these people. You're trying to control me. Mm -hmm. Now circle back. I'm in control of me. I can't do anything about you, which means you can't do anything about me. So we've entered that no should zone. Right. And instead, I don't know about you, but when I get put into those positions, I start pushing back. Of course. I'm well, like it's human nature. Exactly. And is that is not helpful. Right. Because think how much energy you're giving to that person. And not only that, but you're giving your power away. Mm-hmm. So when you're in that should zone, you're giving your power to the other person who has assigned a boundary to you. Mm-hmm. And maybe that boundary does serve you. And maybe that boundary does not serve you, but you need to decide if you're going to accept that boundary, not let the other person assign the boundary to you. And when you accept that boundary, okay, I am a person who drinks six glasses of water a day. That has nothing to do with, I should. Mm-hmm. It's a choice. Right. Right. Yes. And I think that that speaks to so much, uh, such a beautiful way of living your life, right? Questioning everything in terms of, does this resonate with me? Does this, does this feel right to me? You know, and sometimes it's fine to push an envelope and say, all right, I'm going to try drinking six, eight, 10 glasses of water a day. Let's see what happens, you know, so that you're not being reactive well, just because they said I should do it, I have to walk 10,000 steps a day, right? But um, but I wonder what that would be like. I'll try it. And then I get to decide, right? But I love that you're putting the power or suggesting that we all put our power back where it belongs, which is with ourselves, you know? And, and I think that that actually extends to anything in life, whether it's political viewpoints or spirituality or or even just having a, a, a conversation with a friend, right? We're, we're sort of hardwired to be nice people and just agree with everything that's handed to us, right? But what an interesting world it would be if we all just sort of thought, oh, let me see how this, how, how this sits with me. And, and does what happens in my body when I think about 
drinking six glasses of water a day? Is that resistance because somebody told me to do it? Is it resistance because I don't understand the physiology of it? Is it, you know, so you're asking all these questions that eventually gets exactly where you're saying, which is whatever you choose, you've spent some time checking in with your, with your true self about whether that works for you. Well, and, and making certain that we are always um, clear on our intention. And you were speaking about, you know, talking to friends and things like this. And um, these days, you know, the climate and having conversations can get a little bit. Yes, uh, of course. That's why I brought it up. <laughs> uh, well, one of, one of the things that I have learned that has been serving me quite well is when someone makes a comment that kind of uh, gets my hackles up and I can feel, you know, that, that desire to tell them that they are wrong and they shouldn't be thinking in that fashion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, w- I will take a breath mm. and then I will say, so I'm just curious and then finish my sentence with whatever it was that provoked my thought. And that way I'm not attacking them. I'm not saying, you know, your belief is wrong, whatever you're doing is wrong, but I'm also keeping myself calm, not giving away my power, because whenever we start reacting or or when I start reacting to what someone is saying, I'm giving them power. Right. Right. And and I want to keep all the power that I can keep within myself, but I also don't want to take on somebody else's power. Um, And I like to say that nobody can make me anything except reservations for dinner. (laughs) Right. You know, because so many times we will say, well, so-and-so made me angry. How many times do you hear, you know, in the news and the media and things like this? Well, they made me X, Y, Z. No, they didn't. It it circles back to, I chose to react in that fashion. That's right. Right. And so I want to keep my power and I, you know, people think I'm kind of crazy, but you know what? That's okay. I am. And I accept that. Um, no one can make you anything except reservations for dinner. And Mm -hmm. once you accept that, then you can start examining, well, why did I react that way? What was going on within me? What were the thoughts that I had? What are my beliefs? Can I question them? Because just like, you know, when someone says you should be drinking six glasses of water and you start questioning that, does that serve me? We can do the same thing with everything else. Correct. This is what I'm feeling right now. Why am I feeling this? What is really going on? Mm -hmm. Is it just the straw that broke the camel's back? Was it building up from something else? Where do I need to sit and have a conversation with myself? Where do I need to take care of myself so that I can be my best self out in the world? Yes. And it's not always just about being a contrarian, right? Well, just because someone told me to do it, that's the one thing I'm not going to do. That's what a t- that's what a four-year-old does, right? <laughs> so, so, so what, no, you said, you know, and, and so I love what you're saying because it's, it's being curious, you're being curious about where are these feelings coming from? And then even dealing with maybe a, a conflictual conversation with a friend, you get curious. I'm interested to know more about your perspective, which, by the way, only makes us smarter, right? When we get to receive other people's uh, viewpoints. And that's why it's so important to have such a strong foundation of self so that you can decide what serves me? What doesn't serve me? Do I agree with this person or not? And even if I don't agree, so what? Right? 
because we need diversity in the world, you know? Yeah, right. I mean, there, there are actually people out in the world that do not like chocolate. I mean, believe it or not. What? <laughs> I know, I know. There are people who don't like chocolate. Yes. But, you know, I'm not going to disassociate with them just because they don't like chocolate. But I just believe, you know, that when once I started implementing the uh, I'm just curious conversations, I became less reactive. The, the temper stopped flaring. I didn't leave a conversation with that, you know, I should have said, and I should have said right, you know, all right, that right. stuff going on in my head. But at the same time, it's not my responsibility to convince somebody else yes. that their thoughts, their ideas, their beliefs are wrong. It is up right. to them to figure that out on their own. Right. So as long as I'm releasing that need to debate, that need to be right, that need to tell them that they should be doing something, mm-hmm. life is much more pleasant and yes. we can get along and we can learn from each other yeah. because then I'm more open to hearing what it is they have to say. Now, yes. I cannot be in control of whether they are open to hearing what I have to say. So I release that. Right. Exactly. I release that. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. And it really is a, an, a very effective way to move through your life. And you made an important point, which is it makes life a lot easier when you don't have to worry so much about how you are being received or how other people are uh, um, thinking of you or what you think. And, and you don't have to do this for them either. We're all here to learn whatever lessons we're here to learn. And we can't really say what somebody else's lesson is you know, and so um, it seems to work, right? The equation is balanced on both ends. You're not, you're not pushing your idea on somebody else. And you're also not um, uh, taking on stuff that you don't need to take on. Yeah, that's really exactly because we all have our own path. We all have our own purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as we stay on our path with our purpose, well, then we're going to end up at the destination that we're supposed to end up at. It's when we yeah. start getting tangled up in everybody else's path and purpose that we create a mess. Right. And what what would you say your purpose is, Leslie? Well, I believe that my purpose is to help one person discover that they are enough and that they have everything that they need inside of them. It's just a matter of discovering that they are lovable and that they are loved and that they are the most amazing person walking on the face of this earth. And they have an amazing gift to give this world simply by being here. Mm -hmm. And that's enough. Yeah, beautiful. So with that in mind, how can listeners find you? Well, the easiest place to find me is on the website, which is youcan'teatlove.com. There's connections to all kinds of information on my books, um, all kinds of information about me and other um, recordings that I've done and things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also have Facebook, which is Facebook, uh, Facebook, oh my gosh, which is You Can't Eat Love Facebook page. Um, There are links to my books on the website as well. Beautiful. And I'm going to have all of those uh, links available in the show notes so people can find you. Uh, You're on Instagram as well. So um, I'll have all that there. That's um, same thing. Well, I'll have it there so everyone can see it. Leslie, thank you so much for joining me on Self Talk. 
Well, thank you so much for having me. I love listening to your show. I always learn something every time I listen. So thank you. It's lovely that you could be a contributor. 